This song is a perfect example of what it means to end religion and start relationship. This is all about relationship with Jesus. We can't say, God, make room for me if all, I'm a, if all I am is a religious person. This is a relationship-building song because I'm declaring myself that I am surrendering. I'm surrendering my religion Father, because I want a relationship with you. So I'm laying it down. And I'm asking you, Jesus, to break down the walls of my tradition. Destroy my religion. And give me relationship. That's what I want. That's what we need. Religion doesn't save me. Religion won't take me from a bad place to a good place. Religion won't deliver me from a bad place. Religion does nothing besides put guilt and condemnation and false hope. But relationship, (laughs) relationship, Jesus gives it all. It changes me. It changes me from a good person to a saved person. A person of self-righteousness into a person of redemption into pure relationship. Jackie and Tom, can we sing that again? And can we just allow that to happen in your life? Ask the Lord, if you need to, to change from religion to relation. And I will make room for you To do whatever you want to
it all to you, everything, everything that takes away the joy that you bring, everything that brings doubt and fear, everything that is a lie, we cast it away in the name of Jesus and we make room for you, for you, oh God, fill up our hearts with your holy presence. We've made a place for you there, God. Fill us, Father. Our heart is your home. Come, Lord Jesus. We surrender all to you. Thanks for being here today. So we're going to continue our study in Jude, and we are on the third week of our study, and this is a short book. It's only one chapter long, but it's a powerful book. So the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about introducing Jude, and Jude was a brother of James that wrote the book of James, and James happened to be a half-brother of Christ. So put two and two together. If Jude and James are brothers, and James was a half-brother of Jesus, what does that make Jude? A half-brother of Jesus. But Jude never introduced himself that way. He introduced himself as a brother of James and a servant of Christ Jesus. And we talked about why he did that the last couple of weeks ago, so I'm not going to go into that again. But I do know it's this. It's because of Jude wanted to make sure that people knew his authority to speak about Christ came not from a physical relationship with Jesus, but from a spiritual relationship with Jesus. So he didn't call, he didn't claim the Jesus card and said, hey, I'm a brother of Jesus, so you better listen to me. He didn't do that. Rather, he said, I'm a servant of Christ. And then last week, we also spoke that Jude talked to us about how we could have an unlimited resource an unlimited resource or a source of mercy, peace, and love in abundance. Man, and we need that, don't we, in today's world? We need an unlimited source of mercy and peace and love. 
And we have those through a relationship with Jesus. We don't get those through our religion, like we talked about during worship. We don't get those three, three things and many other benefits of Christ through a religion. We get those through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Jude made it very clear that these benefits are available to those that are called of God. And it's interesting because God would have all men, as we talked about before, come to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. But just because God would call, we have the choice and the responsibility to answer. And we can answer yes or no. And if I answer no to that call, then I have no relationship. But if I answer yes to that call, then I am part of the called that Jude is talking to in this book because now we have a relationship with God through the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ through his sacrifice on the cross. And then once I have that, then I can become a servant of Christ just like Jude was. So that's where we were the last couple of weeks. So today, I hope you're okay with that because Jude now is going to take a pretty drastic turn in this book. Um, Jude starts off, and we're, we're, not to the, we're not jumping too far in yet, <laughs> but we're going to find that Jude gets pretty direct and pretty vocal with false teachers and the false narrative of the day. If it was that bad then, imagine how bad it is today, okay? So let's just hold on to that thought for a minute. So let's jump into our text this morning. Our text is Jude chapter 3, and would you stand with me as we read the text? Jude chapter 3, you can read along with me. He says, Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. Father, we just come to you in Jesus' name. And Lord, I pray that we would be able to discern today from your word exactly what you would have us to glean that we would know what it means to contend for the faith and that we would be encouraged to do so. So I pray that you open our minds, clear the distractions, and let us be able to absorb what you have. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, thank you. You may be seated. So as we've mentioned before, Jude felt the need to write a letter to an audience of people that he doesn't really describe. Peter wrote to the churches, Paul wrote to many churches, Paul wrote to Timothy. There's many letters are written to specific audiences, but this letter is written to a general audience. We don't know, but all we do know is that they are believers in Christ because he talked to them about, he's, calling, he's talking to those that were called according to the Lord. And so therefore they are, they are believers, and I have to think they're relatively, relatively mature believers because of the content that Jude's going to talk about later on here. If he was writing to new Christians, I'm not sure that he would go into the detail that he does when he describes God's anger and God's judgment toward people that are spreading untruths because that would kind of be hard for young Christians to absorb. But Jude had a, originally in his mind, what he originally was going to speak about was of the salvation of God. That's what he really wanted to talk about, but the Holy Spirit changed his mind. He had something different to talk about. And I think that Jude was going to talk about salvation because I think he had a special 
bond regarding salvation because, like I already said, his salvation and his relationship with Jesus is not from the physical relationship, but from, from the spiritual relationship. So he was unique maybe in that way, as James was unique, to have both relationships with Jesus first physically and then spiritually because we know that James nor Jude, while Jesus was still alive, believed who Jesus was. I mean, he was just the big brother to them. And Jesus didn't have that relationship of authority with them because they were too comfortable in his presence. Boy, there's a lot we could say about that. He, they knew too much about him to, for, him to, for them to respect him as the son of God. And sometimes that happens in American churches. We get so much knowledge about who Christ is that we never get to the point of relationship with Christ. And until we get relationship with him, we really can't break the walls down of religion, can we? That's why I love that song we sang today. Break down the walls, shake the ground of my tradition, break down the walls of my religion, because I need relationship. And when I get that, when I start talking about relationship, I get a little emotional. I get a little passionate here because that is so vitally important. I want a relationship with God, and that's what he wants with me. And that's what he wants with you. No matter if you're here or watching online, God wants a relationship with you. And he'll do anything. And he has done everything to get it, and that's he gave his son Jesus. All we need to do is receive it. So he, Jude wanted to talk about salvation because John chapter 14 says, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There are no shortcuts. There wasn't a shortcut for Jude or Mary or James or any of his other brothers or sisters that Jesus had. They all had to come to Jesus at the same, in, in the same way that you and I do, at the foot of the cross. And I think that's the amazing part of how that levels the playing field for all people. We come to Jesus Christ or come to the Father only one way, and that is through Jesus, through the leading of the Holy Spirit that comes in and gives us that little, that little, that little tang in our heart, that little pull in our spirit to say, you need to make a change. That's the Holy Spirit saying, hey, I want, I'm calling you. I'm calling you into relationship through Jesus. No one gets to Jesus through any other way. No one gets to the Father through any other way. It doesn't make a difference who we are. And that's the message of salvation. But there was something obviously going on in the church that the Holy Spirit was aware of and that he wanted Jude to speak about. So let's go back to our text. Look at verse 3. Verse 3 says, I felt compelled... Jude speaking, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. So Jude felt compelled. Now that's a pretty urgent calling to, to change your direction. I felt compelled. It wasn't just I had a different idea or I had a better idea. No, he was, he was compelled to change his direction from a message of common salvation to getting into a, a message that pushes people beyond their comfort zone when it comes to the message he's going to be talking about. And he talks about right now, he said, I felt compelled to write and to urge you to contend for the faith. Boy, now the word contend is where we're going to spend our time today. 
The message is titled, Contending for the Faith. What does it mean to contend for anything? What does it mean to contend? Contend means to struggle with or surmount something. Basically, it means that we're to grapple, pit oneself against another, resist or withstand whatever it is that you're to contend with. It is a personal battle. It's a, re- it's a struggle. It's something that we work towards. A commentary in the Bible said this, said that Jude wrote to this urgent imperative for Christians to wage war against error in all forms and fight strenuously for the truth like a soldier who has been entrusted with a sacred task of guarding a holy treasure. This is not a light measure. This is a struggle. Contending takes work. It takes effort. And it can be violent. Contending can be seemingly unchristian. Because you might say, according to this author, he says that we are to fight strenuous, strenuously for the truth. But, but you may say, well, wait, Mike, that's not what a Christian is supposed to be. We're supposed to be meek and mild, aren't we? We're supposed to be just gentle people. We're not supposed to be confrontational people. Well, let's look at the context of what that might mean. Jesus said this in the, in the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 5. He was, he was, on, the Mount of, he was on the Mount of Olives. He was, get, he was teaching the Beatitudes. Basically, this is how we, added, how we live a life, a Beatitude. And this is what Jesus says. He says, you have heard it that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, Do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand your over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asked you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. So Jesus is talking about how we are to live a Christian life in this world amongst unbelievers. And the, the question that I guess needs to be asked from this is what happens if someone offends you or offends me? What should my reaction be? Are we to take revenge and pay back evil for evil? To defend ourselves that way? Now, I know that's clearly what the flesh man wants to do. <laughs> that's what rises up within me is that I want to get even and I feel I have the right to fight for my rights I have the right to, to come against anyone that would do anything that would displease me. That's the way a self-centered, focused person lives. And I get it. But let's look in the life of Christ. You notice that he never fought to defend himself. There are many times when he was tempted to, many times when he was given the opportunities to use his God-given rights and powers to defend himself against those that were coming against him. I mean, even to the point of the temptation that he felt when he went went into the desert for 40 days and 40 nights right after he was baptized by John the Baptist, the Holy Spirit led him into the desert for 40 days of fasting. Well, the devil tempted him very directly. And one, one that we can really relate with was hunger. After 40 days, you've got to imagine Jesus was a little bit hungry. So the devil came to him and said, if you're really who you say you are, 
then take this stone and turn it into bread. And Jesus says, no, my bread is from heaven. Jesus was able to withstand the temptations because um, he had the knowledge and the relationship with the Father that knew that if he was to fall to that kind of temptation where he would use his heavenly powers to make his earthly life easier, that it would have weakened him. It would have not made him the perfect sacrifice that he needed to be. Because if he would have shown that weakness to use his power to defend himself, then he would have been disobedient to his father. And I know that this is a very common temptation for all of us today, that we are tempted to use the power and the influence that we have against other people for our advantages against them. Was that what Jesus was saying when he said, turn the other cheek? To be very honest, that's a hard thing to do. I get it. To show others the same grace that we've been showed by God, we have to contend for that. We have to fight for that because showing grace that God showed us is a hard thing. So does that mean that we, that Jesus never got angry? Does this mean that Jesus didn't have an emotional anger in his life? No, I'm going to show you one that he did. If you turn to the book of John, John chapter 2, verses 13 through 17, we see Jesus here being a little different than what he was on the Mount of Olives given the Beatitudes. Let's read this. When it was, beginning at verse 13, when it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all the temple courts, all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. Now, this wasn't the pleasant Jesus that we just read about. <laughs> this wasn't the, ple the pleasant man who we think th that has no anger. This was an angry Jesus. He, he, he used a whip, and he pushed people, and he shouted at people, and he hit people, and he tipped over money tables, and he, let, and he chased all the animals out, and it was a pretty violent scene. I mean, this was not just Jesus saying, hey, guys, would you please get out? Please? Pretty please? No, he went after him. Like a madman. <laughs> he went after him. And that's, that's confusing, maybe, to why would Jesus do that, but yet he tells us to turn the other cheek. Well, let's understand why. What's the difference here? What's the difference between these two examples? The difference is the first one was a defense of oneself. I'm defending me. This is all about me. And when it's all about me, Jesus says, turn the cheek. Give over to your brother. Don't take what is your stand that you, you may have the right, but maybe that's not the best thing overall. The second was a defense of the house of God. The second thing, the difference was that Jesus was defending God. He was defending his father. This was righteous anger, not selfish anger. There's a big difference. Jesus was showing us what it looked like 
to contend for the faith that he had in his father's mission for his life. Do you see the difference? And I know it's difficult because there are things we stand up for. That's why I said we stand up Michigan, okay? We do have rights, and I'm not saying that we just that we just lay it down and just let evil roll over us. I'm not saying that at all. But it's important that when we do stand up for ourselves, we stand up for the right reasons. We stand up because it's the right thing to do for all people, not just for me personally. Because if I'm standing up against a tyranny because it makes my life better only, then I'm selfish in that. But if I'm standing up against a tyranny because I want it for all people, because that's what God is, that's how God uh, established His country. That's a whole different issue. So I'm not saying we roll over. I'm just saying we have to be careful what our motivation is. Because God will help us if we have the proper motive when we contend. And if it's a selfish motive, you're on your own. So be careful with that one. Now hopefully, when we are going to be contending with people, that we're not going to have to overthrow tables. <laughs> and chairs and push people around. That's, that's not the point. Now, we may have to at some point in time, but my point is this. We need to have the urgency that Jesus had to defend the house of God or defend righteously. You look at verse 17. He says, His disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. Interesting words here. Zeal for your house will consume me. Consuming here means that you ingest it. It means it becomes who you are. The zeal for God's house in the life of Jesus was not something he put on and put off. It was, his, it was who he was. His very nature was all about protecting his father and leading people to his father. And that's the kind of zeal that we're to have. That's the kind of zeal that, that we're to have that is to consume us so that we are then protecting what is good and righteous and holy and the things of God for the right reasons. Not something that we put on and put off to be inconsistent. No, our zeal should be so focused on Christ that it should become who we are. It should become part of our personality. It's part of our nature. We consume it, and it becomes who we are. Now, I want to pause for a minute here because I, I want to kind of change veins just a little bit, so stay with me. I want to go back to kind of what we talked about last week, because this is important so we can get the premise of where we're going to go. We have to recognize that when God created the world, he created the world perfectly. Perfection. You can't improve upon perfection. I mean, it was ultimately perfect in every way. That means that everything was at peace. There was no contention anywhere to be found. It wasn't even a word. It wasn't even defined. Everything was at peace. God was at peace with everything he created because God said it was very good in the book of Genesis. That means that God had peace with men. He had peace with Adam and Eve when they walked in the garden. Adam and Eve had peace with each other. Adam and Eve had peace with nature. All the animals were at peace with Adam. There was no fear of animals. I mean, the animals walked before Adam, and Adam named every one of them. So there was no fear of an animal over a man. And there was no contention, or there was, there was all peace between animals. 
So the Garden of Eden was a place of peaceful perfection. Everything was in perfect order, and it was intended to be that way forever until what happened? Until Adam and Eve partook together of the fruit, they chose against God, and all of a sudden, peace was broken. Peace was broken between all relationships. All peaceful relationships were shattered in an instant. The relationship between God and man was destroyed. Adam and Eve started the blame game. Peace was destroyed between Adam and Eve. When God came down in the garden that day and said, Eve, or Adam, where are you? God knew exactly where he was. He was hiding because the peace was broken. And then what happened? When he finally brought them out together and they started talking about it, the first thing Adam did was throw Eve under the bus. Uh, it, was, it was her fault, God. She gave me the fruit. It's her fault. So Eve looked at him like, what are you talking about? It was a serpent's fault. It's not my fault. He, he tempted me. So all of a sudden, we're having to shift the responsibility from my own problems to somebody else. Destroys relationships with everybody because I'm not taking responsibility for myself anymore. I'm going to blame you. I'm going to blame the government. I'm going to blame my wife. I'm going to blame whoever because I can't take the responsibility. So the blame game started and never ended. That's why we have wars today. Think about it. Think about all the contention that's happening between people. Why don't we just get along? Because there's contention there, because there's sin there. The peace between nature and, and animals to man was destroyed. I mean, now we eat animals. <laughs> They're afraid of us. You know, I walked down to the beach the other day, down at my wife's parents' cottage, and, and I walked down there, and there was a couple of geese on the, on the, on the uh, lawn. And as soon as they saw me, they started squawking. I mean, squawk, 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 squawk. I mean, they're making them all kinds of racket. I'm saying, just be quiet. No, they didn't like it when I was down there. <laughs> I was disturbing their peace. There's, there's no peace between animals anymore, and men, they're afraid of us, and rightly so. And animals are afraid of each other. So everything was broken. In fact, Romans chapter 8 tells us this. Romans chapter 8, verses 19 through 22. In the Living Translation, it says this, For all creation is waiting eagerly, for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against his will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. Did you hear me? When man fell, all creation fell. Death entered creation at every step, every way, every level. Verse 21, the creation looks, but with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it, will be, when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to this present time. So when the rapture happens, the tribulation, the battle of Armageddon, the thousand-year millennial reign, God brings back, restores nature back into perfection. Then obviously the new heavens and the new earth, it'll be perfect the way it was intended to do. And all of creation is groaning for that day to happen. All of our nature, all of nature that God created is groaning for that day when, I can, when it can be perfect again because sin destroyed it all. Do you see how significant that is? 
sin destroyed peace and thus enters contention. Contention between evil and righteousness. Contention between right from wrong. Between light and darkness. Everything that's opposite in nature is now contending against each other. Think about this for a minute. This is really, this is really important. Think about this. When God created us, he created everything in perfection, right? That means he created all the emotions that a man was to have in perfection like he was. Emotions like love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, kindness, self-control. Sounds like the fruit of the Spirit, doesn't it? You see, he created us that way. Those were all the emotions that we have. And when I have those emotions flooding through my life, that brings health to my body. It brings relationships restored to people because now I'm building myself up and building you up as well when those are the emotions that are flowing through me. However, there were also other emotions that came when they sinned. Those emotions are things like guilt and shame, fear, anxiety, stress, embarrassment, remorse. All these things in life that we also experience today. But when those things become dominant in my life, it shortens my lifespan. It acts to destroy me physically. Because what happens when stress lives in your life? What happens to your hormones? What happens to your, um, your levels of adrenaline? What happens to your blood pressure? Okay, everything starts to grow up. So here you get all these emotions that come with the fall act to destroy us. But the emotions that God created perfectly act to build us up. You see the difference? You see how the fall impacts us in every way? Our bodies weren't designed to handle these negative emotions. Think about it. Our bodies were designed to live forever in joy and peace and health and strength. And all of a sudden I get this a negative emotion come in and all of a sudden it destroys my body because my body wasn't designed that way. And that's where we're at today. We are contending the forces of evil in all areas of our life. So that, come, that brings us back to the, what Jude is saying here, that Jude says that we are to contend, that we are to contend for things. Now, what does it mean? We've already talked about what it means to contend, but there's two more major things that we need to know about contending. Number one, who are we contending with? Who's our enemy? And number two, what are we contending for? Let's talk about this for a minute. Who are we contending with? Well, first of all, we're contending with ourself. Think about this. We're contending with our internal self. We're contending about our own beliefs and convictions. Who am I? What do I really believe in? Where do my convictions come from? I'm contending, I'm contending against all those negative emotions that the fall brought to my life. You see, everyone holds the most powerful force in the world in, in our hands. You hold it right now. 
The most powerful force in the world is in your hand right now. You know what that's called? The power of choice. Your choice trumps everything God did on the cross. Your choice trumps the cross of Jesus Christ because if you choose not to receive it, then the cross does nothing for you. But if I choose to receive it, it's my redemption. The power of choice is so powerful. The power to choose what you believe and what you accept as truth and how it impacts your future. But there comes the responsibility, though, to, rec to accept the consequences of that choice, too. You have the power to choose, but now you have to have the power to, it, to, to accept the consequences of that choice. And that's probably something we don't consider well enough. That's something the enemy doesn't want to bring to your attention. He just wants you to focus on the power of choice, thinking that you're going to be like God, like the, the temptation that he gave to Eve. He doesn't want you to recognize, the enemy doesn't want you to recognize you're going to have consequences with your choices. He just wants you to choose anything that makes you happy for the moment. He doesn't care about you. In fact, he hates you. Listen to this. We can control the choice we make today. But we cannot control the consequence that comes as a result tomorrow. You have no control over the consequences. You only have control over the choice. That's pretty powerful. We have to recognize that fact. Because when I start thinking about my consequences and the fact that I can't change my consequence, then I have to look at my choices. It's better to be proactive so I don't have to get down to a situation where I have consequences that are negative. So dealing with our own issues of what we choose to believe and how we choose to live sets the stage for everything else we do. I want to give you some, I want to give a little hope here. We've all made bad choices in life. We've all have things that we're regretting right now. I know you do. I do. But here's the beautiful thing about the grace of Jesus Christ. When I recognize that I have issues in my life that I'm not proud of, issues that I have regrets over, here's something else we need to contend with. When you take that to the cross and you leave it at the cross, Jesus forgives you. He erases it like it never happened. He takes your sin as far as the east is from the west, and the east and the west never meet. North and south meet at the poles, but east and west never meet. I'll go west, and I'll keep going west, and I'll never get east because I'm always going west. Therefore, your sins are taken away from you, and you'll never see them again. But there's a problem here because we don't know how to forgive ourselves. Think about that. God's forgiven you of what you've done because you've asked him to forgive you. Now you need to forgive yourself and move on. Don't go back and wrestle with that anymore. Don't go back and call yourself a sinner anymore. No, you're redeemed. You're a, you're a forgiven person from that sin in the past. It doesn't control you anymore. Your past is forgiven. It's a, you're a new man, a new creation. Now live like it. That's beautiful. That's huge. 
There's so much to talk about. We could have a whole series of messages right there just on how we know how, to, how we teach ourselves to move forward from the past mistakes we've made in our life, that we don't go back and repeat those same mistakes. No, we're forgiven. We repent, meaning I go a different direction. And now I receive the joy and the peace and the love of God's perfection in my life. It doesn't make me a perfect person. It makes me a forgiven person. It makes me a person that is sanctified and sanctifying my life on a regular basis so that when I do make a mistake, I, I know where to go with it. I go right back to Jesus and I say, please forgive me again, Father. Please, Jesus, let your blood wash over me again. And you know what? It does. But I make an intentional effort not to go back and repeat the same stupid sin. Make sense? So we contend with the internal things. We contend with those things that are always pulling at us internally. Then we intend with ex a whole host of external forces. Things like false teachers that Jude is going to talk about later on. And these are intentional leaders and teachers that knowingly work hard to twist the truth of God's word so that they can bring a false narrative into your life to make you believe things that aren't true. Close enough but aren't true. They may sound good at the outset, and they might even use some really Christianese terminology, but it's a totally different desired outcome. That's what false teachers do from the external perspective. And then there are the political and governmental leaders that we contend with externally, and we know what that's about. I'm not going to get into that today, but we know that we have to contend against things that are unrighteous leadership. But then there are certainly the social norms that would want to mold us into what they want us to be. Lots of external factors that we contend with. So now let's talk about what will our contending look like in this life? What does it look like when we contend? Well, let me just put you at rest. Because I know that init initially we think of contending for the faith, meaning like I have to be a Bible scholar and that I'm going to have to get into a theological debate with other people, that I'm going to have to prove everything that the Bible says is true, and therefore I just am not comfortable doing that because I don't have the skill sets to do it, so therefore I don't think I have to contend, okay? I want you to know that there are Bible scholars that contend, <laughs> and they are qualified to contend in that way. You may or may not be that way, so don't worry about that. It's not what I'm talking about. But we do have to contend, though, in our lifestyle. We do have to know enough about the Bible so that we know what we're living for and what we're living against. We have to be a disciple. And a disciple is constantly seeking to learn more about God's Word. A disciple is hungry to learn as much as he or she can about what God's Word says. And how do you do that? Well, you do that through Bible teaching. Th like days like today, you get a Bible teacher that teaches Bible. Not theories of self-help issues. We don't, this is not a, you, taught, you teach Bible. And you also do it through your own personal Bible reading and your own personal Bible study. You have a responsibility for yourself to feed yourself throughout the week. Then you pray and you meditate, asking the Holy Spirit to open your heart and your mind to receive God's word. So there are ways that we personally do it by being a disciple. And then, then we also have to live a life of consistency and conviction. We contend for the faith to live a life of consistency and conviction about what this faith looks like in our lives to God's word. And we live proactively. We do this 
by doing, by making a decision before we get to this point of contention, before we get to the fork in the road as to which direction I'm going to take, I'm going to make up my mind that I'm not going to sin. I'm going to make up my mind that I'm not going to give in to that temptation that I know is coming. Maybe you've struggled with alcohol. Maybe you've struggled with pornography. Maybe you've struggled with other areas of your life. Well, now that you know that's wrong, you're going to make a decision right now that I'm not going to go there anymore. When that opportunity presents itself, I know my answer. I don't have to get to the point of deciding and think, now what am I going to do? Am I going to do it or not do it? No, I decide now when I'm strong so that when I get in the moment of temptation when I'm weak, I say, no, I've already made this decision. I'm not going to do it. And you need the Holy Spirit's help to get that done. I know that. This isn't just lifting yourself up by your bootstraps. I'm not trying to say that. I am trying to say, though, we have a personal conviction and we need to be consistent in it. That's how we live contending for the faith in our life. So what are we contending for? We're contending for the faith that was once for all entrusted in our life. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 11 to 12. But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of, e- of the eternal life to which you were called when you, were made your good, when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. We're to fight by fleeing sometimes. Fleeing the things that we know. We're not supposed to just deal with pornography. No, we're supposed to flee it. Not manage it. We flee it. We contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's people. This is a huge word. This is a huge word. We're contending for the faith that was once entrusted for all of us. So what is this faith? This faith is the fixed and unchangeable truth of God's word. God's word was said, was written one time, never to be changed, never to be altered. It doesn't go out of fashion. It doesn't go out of style. Because we're living in 2021 doesn't mean what was written 2,000 years ago isn't still in effect. It is. That's the unchangeable nature of God's word. We're to contend for that. That we're not supposed to convert it into something that makes our life easier to live by. We're not supposed to compromise it to say, oh, no, I want to change God's word a little bit to take the burden off of me to live the way I want so I can live the way I want to live. No, that's not what we're doing. We're not contending for the faith that way. Faith gets real to a person when it becomes relationship with the creator of the faith. Faith gets real to a person when it becomes relationship with the creator of the faith. This is not religion. This is relationship. And I hope you can appreciate the difference between knowing about the truth of God's word and then really knowing God, knowing who he is. I love it the way Paul prays for the Colossians. Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 to 11. And so from the day we heard, Paul said, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Why? so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, that you're fully pleasing to him, that you're bearing fruit in every good work and that you're increasing in the knowledge of God. You're being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. That's the way Paul prayed for the Colossians. That's the way I pray for myself every day. This is one of, the, this is one of my, my verses that I, pl- I pray to myself most every day. 
I personalize this word and I say, you know, God, I want to be this man. I want to ask you to fill me with the knowledge of your will, with all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as, so as to walk in a manner of the fully pleasing to you, Father, never doing anything that knowingly would displease you. That's relationship. That's what I'm trying to get to in my life. That's where I'm at in my life. I'm trying to get more and more to that. That's faith. It's worth contending for. Paul says again to the Ephesians, he says, then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every kind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. That's the faith that we're contending for. And that's how we do it. Jackie, would you come, please? And Tom? But how do we know that we're contending for the right cause? How do you know if you're contending for the right cause? Well, let's go back to God's word. Paul again writes to, writes to Timothy, his spiritual son, 2 Timothy chapter 4. Beginning at verse 1, Paul says, I solemnly urge you in the presence of God and Jesus Christ, who will someday judge the living and the dead when he comes to set up his kingdom. This is what he says to Timothy. Preach the word of God. Be prepared. Whether the time is favorable or not, patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears wants to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. How do you know if you're contending for the right thing? By getting into God's word. By letting God's word teach you. And then Paul teaches us to be good workers in the kingdom this way. In 2 Timothy, just in verse 2, a little before that, verses 15 and 16 and then verse 19, he says, Paul says, work hard so you can present yourself to God and receive his approval. Be a good worker, one who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly explains the word of truth. Avoid worthless, foolish talk that only leads to more godless behavior. Verse 19, but God's truth stands firm like a foundation stone with, it, with this inscription. The Lord knows those who are his, and all who belong to the Lord must turn away from evil. Listen, contending is not always fun. It's not always easy. But it's necessary, and we're not in this alone. I just want you to know that. Yeah, it's going to be hard, because you're going to have to contend with yourself. You're going to have to put yourself in proper perspective in regards to God's word. You're going to have to make sure that Christ is at the center point of your life. And you're going to make sure that you take second fiddle. That you're willing to take the second seat and let him have first. It's called contention. Contending. And you know what's something, guys? The sad part is, we weren't designed to have to do this. But it's our lot in life. We don't have a choice anymore. It's what we are. The choices we have. You make the right choice the contending becomes worthwhile. And the Holy Spirit is right there with you, with me, to help me in that process. You got to have it. 
got something that's lingering in your life that you want that needs to go, ask the Holy Spirit to help you. Contend for it. Fight for it. But he'll be faithful to help us. Amen? If you need help, we'll pray with you. That's what we do. Call me, call Rip, be in, come see us after church anytime. Our phone number is easy to get. Come visit with us, pray. We pray with you. We contend with you, not against you. There's no judgment here because we're all contending for the same thing. And we all have issues. I get it. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for this day today. I thank you for the sound message of God's word today. I thank you, Lord, that even though we weren't designed to contend, that you're here to help us so that we contend for the right things in the right way and that we get the right outcome. That you're very faithful, even when at times that we haven't been so faithful. And I pray, God, that you would just be with us today. Let your Holy Spirit just um, bring a conviction where it's necessary and bring a comfort afterwards that gives us a, a sense of relationship, a sense of being together. We love you, Jesus, and we thank you for your sacrifice. We honor you today. We worship you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing what you're playing. Stand with me if you will.
Father, we just come to you now. We thank you for the victory. We thank you the fact, Lord, that you have rescued us. And now we can rejoice in that. We can raise a hallelujah to you because of your victory. Because you promised to be with us in the contention of life that we can rest assured that you have everything in store and everything in order. And now we just surrender to you. And I pray that you would just be with us as we go to our homes and places today. Bring us back, Father, restored, renewed, I pray, in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. Be blessed today. Be blessed.